welcome back to part 2 of episode 6, Adding Insult to Injury. Previously, we spoke about people struggling with addiction and dependence issues and people with existing mental health illnesses. So let's continue our conversation with Dr. Sivakumar about the mental health effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the rest of the vulnerable groups of the community. So now let's link the suicidal ideations and all the um, mental illnesses to an issue that's upcoming, something that we have foresaw, something that's happening right now, which is unemployment. So recently, there was this news that said Bank Nagara had this forecast mm-hmm. that in April, the unemployment rates would be 4%. But now they're saying that it's going to surpass 4%. And this is because of the sudden halt in the economic activities during the lockdown period. Yep. And economic growth is, has stopped because of the first three phases of the MCO. So all of this has led to unemployment. But how is this unemployment going to affect us mentally? And what's going to happen to us in the long run? Yep, that's a good point that you've actually brought up. People are not looking at it at the moment. But you can see early signs, you can see businesses closing down. Um, I, I saw a whole list of hotels closing down in Penang. Um, one major hotel in KL has decided to, uh, well, they, they were planning for renovation, but uh, they decided to do it faster. So they have uh, turned to their staff and asked them to go on a separation scheme. So you're, you're gradually seeing these things. Now, what people don't understand is uh, employment has got a very close link to mental health well-being. How? Well, the main thing is the role in society. You find that human need humans need a role. They need to feel secure. So, you find that humans don't fit into the role when your future is 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 blur when you when you don't know what's happening in the future so security is a big role when you actually look into mental well-being especially we're talking about financial but it's not all money it's your role in society like for example in a family where uh, the man uh, is the main breadwinner and uh, he's also got other members working you find that if he loses his job and the rest do not, he falls in status. Now, this is commonly seen, especially when people retire and people don't get ready for retirement. And one day they find they're not working, they're not earning, and they need to ask for money from their wife or their sons or daughters. You find that it hits them very bad. And that's where depression in the elderly comes in, sets in. But COVID is doing it now, earlier. So it's a huge thing. So it's going to affect people a lot. Now we are in Johor and we are seeing a lot of people losing jobs because they are working in Singapore. Now that's going to be a bigger thing because uh, a lot of people actually go across to Singapore and currently everyone is stuck. The belief is that jobs are going to be lesser when things open up. I did see the news where the um, people were walking back from Singapore on the bridge back to Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah, that was really sad. 
True. Also, doctor, how about those、uh, marginalized communities like the poor, the homeless, the disabled, the migrant workers, or even the refugees? These people who are really、um, having a really challenging time in their lives. And so, with this current news that business closures, unemployment would definitely hit them harder than a normal middle-income society. Although、um, the Malaysian government、um, really has helped the poor and homeless. And they have received financial aids.、Um, so, how would these groups of people,、um, actually, also specifically the refugees, have additional negative psychological effects due to unemployment? Yeah, I think that's that's something that people have not thought about. But you know, an answer to your question is it going to hit them harder than people who are already holding a job and working? Well, my answer would be a yes and a no. Well, why would I say a no? Because you know this group of people that we are talking about—the marginalized people, especially、uh, the homeless, people in poverty, migrant workers—they have always, they have always been in this、um, situation. They have always been facing a lot of stress and.、Uh, Over a period of time, you find that this group of people build coping mechanisms.、Oh. So, I would say that they actually would cope better compared to someone who has never gone through it. Give you an example:、uh, Sri Lanka. Now, Sri Lanka has always been going through、uh, war. They've always had the separatists, and they've always had the the, the LTTE fighting against the, the Tamil Tigers fighting against the government. So Sri Lanka was always in a turmoil, and、uh, because of that, they always had、uh, help and support from 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 international societies. And over a period of time, they actually built this self reliance, resilience, sorry, and、um, coping skills. When the tsunami hit them, they were not as badly affected by people in Indonesia because they were they already had this mechanism built in, and they didn't know what catastrophes are because they were going through it day in day out. Now, bringing that example back here, people who have never gone through it, you know, just like say you and me, we are working well, we are working in Singapore, earning well, and suddenly, bam. They're hit by COVID. This group of people are going to get hit really bad. So what can happen is, you know, a lot of emotional problems can come in. We may be looking at higher rates of self-harming behavior, higher rates of depression, higher rates of suicide. Some people even turn violence externally, you know, towards others. Theft and other crimes may increase. Those are the risks that we may be looking at.、Mm, that's interesting. So let's go to another big topic: domestic violence.、Mm, in the news in April, there was a fifty-seven percent increase in the number of calls from women in distress to this hotline called Talian Kasi. <laughs> And the deputy minister of the Women and Family Development Ministry,、mm-hmm. she agreed that there was a slight increase in the domestic violence cases as well in Malaysia, but they said it's under control. Currently, I'm not sure how it is in Malaysia, 
but the domestic violence in other countries related to lockdown are spiking. Yeah. Especially in countries where there's guns. Mm-hmm. It can even lead to murder of spouses and children. Yeah. But why do you think there's a rise in the domestic violence during this lockdown? What's exactly happening? Yeah, I think that's that's good that you brought it up. I think um, domestic violence is something that we have totally neglected. Uh, but I don't know whether uh, you actually caught this news. Um, this was somewhere in April, uh, yeah. citing uh, an incident which took place in Bangladesh. This chap actually, uh, what he did was, he killed his wife uh, at home, and he live streamed it over Facebook. So that's that's really shocking, and it really shocked the entire country. And people actually watched it. He live streamed it, and after doing that, after committing the crime, he actually turned himself in to the local police. You know, and his reason was. He was too stressed up, and he just didn't know what he was doing. He couldn't control himself. You're correct. You know there has been an extreme increase in domestic violence throughout the world. I, I, I I'm not too aware of what our numbers are here, but over the world, you know, it's been increased at least by fifty percent, especially including women uh, and also especially young girls. Oh my, that's very terrible. The hard reality of life. Yeah, the hard fact of life, and I think you are asking about why. Um, yeah, why? Yeah, we really don't know why, but there are lots of postulations have been put in. One is, of course, uh, you know, there is there, what what we have seen that's missing is that total lack of social interaction. So the man uh, is in the house, and he's. Cooked up in the house, and over a period of time, he builds up that frustration. Some of them have actually got more frustrated because of losing a job, sitting at home. I, I spoke about the role that people look at, especially uh, men, uh, the males. Uh, the role in the family is so important. So losing that role and work affects them a lot. These are some of the reasons that have been postulated why. Domestic violence actually takes place. You know, in, during the pre-COVID time, uh, the man had lots of avenue to, to vent out frustration, which is not available to him now. Not an excuse, but you know, just when you're looking at reasons why. Hmm. That's um, that's really not helpful and also a very negative way. Of um, ventilating to yep, yeah true. that that affects on domestic violence. But shifting on to the focus on women and children, how then uh, do this would this affect their mental health? Well, you find that uh, domestic violence uh, onto women and children leaves a scar, especially when you talk about young kids growing up. Either experiencing or even witnessing domestic violence scars their future. They actually grow up with the fear, or surprisingly, some of them grow up to reenact the exact things onto others. So there's a small there's a theory in in psychiatry called 
identifying with the aggressor so it's uh, it's by um, the daughter of sigmund freud uh, anna freud so what the theory actually says is someone who's actually gone through a lot of violence could later on it's not a must could later on basically become an aggressor onto others of course you're also looking at other things like depression anxiety many women have actually turned to suicide hmm so you said that um younger children are taking the character of the aggressor what about stockholm syndrome does that apply to this situation yes it does uh, to a certain extent now stockholm syndrome i think as you understand is uh, is something chronic so it's not something over a day or two it's over a long period of time and what really happens here is over a period of time initially you find the fear the hatred towards the aggressor is there but over a period of time what happens is uh, the victim builds a dependence and love and attraction comes in and so much so that you know they need that aggressor to be around so this is this is some sort of social dependence we were talking about chemical dependence then this is some sort of social dependence over a period of time mm okay so linking that what you just said domestic violence is already having a huge effect on women and children but apparently i heard a rumor that the talian nur and talian kasi hotlines are not accessible all the time like sometimes it doesn't get picked up or sometimes it's engaged mm-hmm. have you heard anything about that doctor uh well not much but uh, well i don't think i would be the best to comment on that but i think i mean the avenues are there but i i, I would like to talk about uh, what would stop people or what would actually stand in their way to actually ring up i think uh, many asian women tend not to complain and feel more secure being in a abusive relationship than not reasons reasons why well one uh, the culture itself our culture itself gives very poor importance or very little importance to women who are single especially women who 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 are alone single without a husband they find it very difficult or a single parent to live in 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 the asian culture has always been difficult of course things have changed you know things have changed over a period of time but that's always their culture many women that we speak to uh, on a day to day basis whenever they come in would rather not complain against the husband because the reason would be you know well my husband does not uh, womanize he's not abusing drugs or gambling this is the only mistake or the only weakness he has i'm fine with that other women have got worse husbands that's some of the reasons that you hear so it's a concept and perception of some of the women so you you don't find everyone actually ringing in hmm okay um i agree with you that you should be politic- politically correct on this uh, podcast um what actually happens when a hotline is called like where does it go 
Once you call the Talia Nur and Talia Kasih, where is it being directed to? By right, uh, when 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 it goes through a hotline, the person who actually picks it up is a trained person. So this is a person who basically hears your complaints and would correctly be able to uh, send your 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 complaints or your or your statements to the necessary uh, departments. So if it's if it's something that's acute, urgent. It could many. I mean, many departments come into play here. So it could be the police, it could be the uh, the medical authorities, or it could be the social welfare. Mm. So it depends on okay. the circumstances. So the person who actually takes that call are all trained people. That's assuring. But let's say in the case that the hotlines are not accessible, it could be due to any reason. You're not going to talk about that. Where can the victims of domestic violence seek help in Malaysia? They can walk into any clinic to be truthful. They don't need to go into. They don't need to go to a department. Sometimes it can be a bit uh, demanding. It can be a huge thing to walk into a government uh, department and to make a complaint. All they need to do is to walk into a clinic, any nearest GP clinic. Now it's. The responsibility of all doctors to make this complaint on behalf of uh, the uh, abuse uh, victim. Hmm. And what about the one-stop crisis center in the hospital? Well, that's also another place. That's also another place. Most of our major hospitals do have actually set up a one-stop uh, center. So that would be another place that they can actually go in. And just to add on that, Malaysian Medics International has actually recently published an intimate partner violence policy document. So do check it out at our website at malaysianmedics.org under the policy tab. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have put in a lot of effort in doing that policy document. Actually, that's good. That's good. Good to hear. And finally, our next biggest topic: elderly population. So we already know that the COVID nineteen poses a higher risk for elderly population in terms of illness and death. But are they also more vulnerable to mental health effects as well during this social isolation? Definitely, they are. I think, well, if I stand corrected, I think they are most probably the most vulnerable. We talked about uh, people with mental illness. We talked about abuse among domestic violence uh, among women and children. Now, don't forget that the elderly can also be abused. And uh, mm. there have been reports stating that there is an increasing number or percentage of uh, uh, elderly abuse during the COVID period. Now, why? One would ask why would the older group of people be more vulnerable to mental health uh, effects, especially now during the COVID period and social isolation. But we can think of many. One is, of course, uh, being there at that period of time. You find that most of our elderly people, most of our older people, uh, uncles, aunties, uh, grandparents, you find that many of them have. Good coping mechanisms, and many of your coping mechanisms have always been social mechanisms. 
When you look at young kids, how they cope with problems, they're sitting in front of the TV, watching TV or playing their games. That's their coping mechanisms. Now, you don't find many elderly people actually doing that. Whenever they have to cope with issues, they go out, they go karaoke, they go walking, they go to the kopitiam. Now, that's all taken huge beating. So, you find that it, coping mechanisms have crushed among the elderly people. And at that age, for you to rebuild coping mechanisms, which you have done all your years, is a huge task. Sitting in front of an elderly and say, hey, that's fine, let's do some online stuff. Now, how many elderly people, well, I, I'm not generalizing it, you know, but would be tech savvy. How many of them can go online and, and do a Zoom or do something? Or how many of them would actually appreciate it? That's the other issue. Well, some other things is, you know, with all these news coming in, the elderly have got lots of fear about the future. Uncertainties about what's to happen. Will I get ill? Will I contract the virus? Each time you open the TV or anywhere else, they're always stressing on the elderly. So let the elderly stay home. You don't go out. Keep away from hospitals. The other main thing is very biological. There is a very close connection between the immune system and emotions. Now, many people don't realize that. When we think about emotions, they are always thinking about something external. Like a separate entity. Yeah, a separate entity by itself. But you find that, you know, whenever emotions are at its low, your immune gets hit. When your immune gets hit, your emotions go low. So there's a very close connection between that. And that's one reason why at this stage of time, this special group of people are not only vulnerable for mental health issues, but also more vulnerable for an infection. That was a fantastic explanation. When I wrote this question, I didn't expect, I didn't know that the older people were the most vulnerable to mental health effects. They are actually, they are. So we know that the elderly have lived longer than us. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be more experienced and more patient in dealing with matters emotionally, right? Yeah, true. And they're supposed to be more resilient in the face of adversity because the older times were far more harsher than what we have right now. I agree. So could they recruit these good qualities or characteristics and help them get over their um, anxiety or fear of the uncertainty? I agree. I agree. I think uh, you, you, you've hit the nail there. It's uh, a lot of experience. You know, you're talking about someone who's lived for 60, 70 years. That's a lot of uh, uh, experience under your belt. So they would have actually had resources from previous episodes, what to do, where to go, how to manage. But as I said, the disadvantage there could be if their resources are external or social, then it could actually take a very huge beating. The other thing that uh, the elderly, especially people in, in Asia, have is our family bond and our structure and support. I think that's something that uh, you don't find in Europe or in the States where you know kids leave you as soon as they are 18, 19, 20. You know? Here you still have families together, you're living with your parents, with sometimes with, even with your grandparents. Now that's a good quality. I think that's one of the strengths 
so you still have that family bond and support something to hold you up something to support you through uh, testing times hmm. uh, certainly we can learn a lot from um, elder people who are more experienced than us I would uh, really love to spend more time with them if I think back now <laughs> but yeah. so what can we then as um, family uh, members of the society do to help with the mental health of elder people amid social distancing mm. as uh, younger members of the society so to speak yeah that's true that's true I think there's a lot we can do uh, what I fear and what we fear is uh, when we see the elderly a lot of their daily routines have been destroyed due to this COVID issue you find that whenever you talk about the elderly you're talking about daily routines uh, well I have grandparents well I had grandparents and you know even even my dad for example he's got his daily routine you know he gets up in the morning and he goes out he does this he does that you know he's got his entire routine packed something that I can't think about doing and then he's got this fixed time about sleeping now that's been yeah that's been changed and that's been restructured because of this covid so helping them get back their daily routine to a certain extent is good maintaining daily routines number one Number two, encouraging them to keep that social contact active. It may not be face-to-face, but at least a call, sitting with them, helping them with a Zoom call, you know, or a teleconferencing, talking to someone would actually help a lot. Exercise. Well, that has actually come to a total halt for many elderly people. But what I find is, you know, recently, um, you know, there's something called as laughter yoga. Have you all heard of laughter yoga? Ah, yes. Yeah. So laughter yoga is actually something that's been proven. You actually go in and you do laughs and the laugh actually helps with your emotions. And surprisingly, it actually helps with your immune system. But the, the, the thing about it is, the snack about it is, it's always done in a group uh, together. And during the COVID, everything has come to a stop. But what's happened recently is the laughter yoga group here in Jobaru have actually started uh, online laughter yoga classes. So you find people from all over Malaysia joining them and you've got the laughter yoga guru from India who is actually running the thing and they've actually brought exercise online. And I think that's wonderful. That's something that we could actually help uh, uh, our loved ones. Well, another simple thing that I would like to mention is they need to be informed and updated on what's going on. You find that lots of elderly people don't get proper information and sometimes this can bring about anxiety. So we need to actually correctly inform them about what's been happening, what can you do, how's the disease, what's our numbers today. So we need to keep them updated on disease. So these are some of the things that uh, we as family can help our elderly population. That's really helpful. Well, doctor, just to extrapolate from that, could you also briefly tell us about delirium which can occur in elderly patients in isolation? What should caretakers look out for before seeking hospital help? Alright. Uh, well, delirium, well, many. Well, many people who are listening to this may not be 
very certain what delirium is. So maybe this is a short, simple explanation what delirium is. Delirium is a state of mind where a person has a fluctuation in their awareness. For example, you see them in the morning and they are able to identify you, they can recognize you and they are talking normally. You see them in the afternoon and they are confused. They can't remember your name, they can't remember seeing you. Now, many a times, delirium is due to changes in the body, which we call as organic changes. Some of the common reasons for delirium is uh, when you run a high-grade fever. Fever can put people into a delirious condition. When you don't take well orally or drink, you find that you have something called as an electrolyte imbalance. Now, that can also cause delirium. People who have problems with their liver or their kidney run into problems of delirium. So, how do they present? They present with a lot of restlessness. They can get agitated. Some of them present with psychiatric symptoms like hearing voices, things we call as hallucinations. Or they start believing in false things, especially what they term as delusion. Where can it happen? Especially in the elderly sitting in a nursing home, you know, in a psychiatric nursing home, in an old folks home. So it's a medical emergency and this group of people need to be treated as an inpatient. So they need to be brought to a hospital and uh, they need to be treated, they need to be hydrated, uh, they need to be given some amount of sedation and antipsychotics if they are restless. Mm. That was really insightful and I hope it really helped people understand what delirium is and what they can do. So, we've reached the final part of our episode. Do you have any final takeaway messages for our audience? Well, as I started off, I mean, we are all in testing times. Now, we don't know where you where we're heading. We don't know how long this is going to last. So, look for signs or what we call as danger signs. Don't wait for stress to come in. You know, it's eventually saying like, you know, when you get to a new town, you don't wait to get sick before you get a doctor. You get a doctor first, you know, so that when you're sick, you know you, you've got a place to go. So look for those signs. Look for those early warning signs. For example, what we have just spoken, people who tend to overuse substances to numb themselves, people who are in recovery who start having urges, a person who has got a pre-existing mental illness start showing early signs of a relapse, or it could be a person who is experiencing anxiety. It could be an increase in domestic violence. It could be children who are actually going through mental health problems, early problems, or if you're seeing early signs of self, lack of self-worth and suicidal ideations. Don't wait for it to get worse. Get them as soon as possible 
to a doctor, a counselor, let people be assessed. Yeah. So in summary, part two is about how being unemployed, being members of the marginalized communities, being victims of domestic violence, and just being a part of the elderly population during this COVID-19 crisis takes a toll on our mental health well-being. To overcome these effects, we looked into the specific issues revolving around each of these groups of people, ways to help themselves, and how people around them can help them face their mental health problems. I think this wraps up for today's episode. It has been a productive and informative episode. I think I personally learned a lot today and I hope the audience would benefit from this too. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Siva, for joining us today. You're welcome. Yes, absolutely. I agree with Joyce. It was really, really informative, really insightful, really wonderful. And I had fun during the whole recording. So thanks, Doctor. Nice to hear. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Feel free to drop questions or feedback on our Facebook page, Malaysian Medics International. Also, do follow us on Spotify and iTunes so you don't miss out on our podcast episodes. Till next time, stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>